We're in this series called God Encounters, and we are looking at something out of Moses' life as he encountered God. In fact, he encountered God a number of key times, but just one of them. And the whole thing is we don't want to go into the rest of this year without the presence of God. The incredible thought that progress without God's presence always results in crisis or chaos. And the sense of having God with you, which is promised to do, but then an intentional encounter where you say, God, I really want to lean into your presence and encounter you. Because when we encounter God, everything changes. Your agenda changes, your priorities change, even your opinion can change when you encounter God. But most importantly, it's your heart that changes. And we're going to look at Moses. And I love the way the Apostle Paul speaks about a God encounter and ties it back to Moses' experience. And so I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm borrowing from the message paraphrase, and, but it's true to the original text. Whenever they, speaking of the children of Israel, but they can include us. Whenever we turn to face God, as Moses did, God removes the veil. Whenever we turn towards God, God removes barriers. He he just dissolves them and we have free access because of Jesus into his presence. And there we are face to face. Suddenly, Let's make it personal. We, not just they, recognize God is a living personal presence, not a chiseled piece of stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, that old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete. In other words, don't get into religion, rules and regulations. When you encounter God, living presence, living spirit, rules go out the window and you encounter His grace and the leading of His spirit in your life. We're free of all of it, all of us, nothing between us and God. Our face is shining with the brightness of His face. And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah. And our lives gradually become brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like Him. I encourage you to read that passage a few times in as many translations as you want. We're so blessed. And just get that whole spirit of when we turn, God removes the veil, God removes rules and regulations. We encounter Him living presence and we are changed from one degree of glory to another, becoming more like Jesus. The moment of salvation is obviously the most crucial moment of your life. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 5, Paul says this, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins dead in transgressions. It is by grace you and I have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ. Now, I want you to get that. I know for those in the auditorium, you seated on a nice, comfortable chair, but you're actually seated in heavenly places with Christ. Even those of you at home in your pajamas eating toast, seated 
with Christ in heavenly places. That's your position. And I I just want you to notice from the very moment of salvation, the very moment you put your trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are positioned in Christ in heavenly places. And we sometimes forget, I know I do, in dealing with life that we're sitting down here, but when God says, no, actually look down on your problems. Look down on your circumstances. Never look down on people. That's not the spirit of what this is about. But know who you are and how you are positioned in Christ. And one of the most important things that God does once we've put our trust in Jesus and we become saved, we experience salvation and we're positioned in Christ and our sins are forgiven, is to begin to work on your identity. And it seems to me, I've been around for a little bit, it's a lifelong progress because we forget sometimes who we are in Christ. We forget our real identity. And Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. This means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. We sometimes feel like we're dragging our old selves around, don't we? And we need to remind ourselves that we have become a new person in Christ. And he goes on to say, the old life is gone and the new life has begun. God doesn't mend us or patch us up. He transforms us. We become a new creation in Christ. And God is the workman. We are his workmanship, the Bible says, created in Christ Jesus. And God does good work. And he looks at what he does as he spoke over all creation. And he says, this is very good. And I'm just trying to speak that over my life, your life. This is very good. Who you are in Christ is very good. That's his message to you. And that's the point of transformation. I've subtitled this message, Mirror, Mirror on the Wall. Who's the fairest? No, we won't go all the way there. But I want to ask you a little question and probably it'll distract you for the rest of the, the, the meeting is how many mirrors do you have at home? We're surrounded by mirrors everywhere. And there's a built-in instinct that when we see our reflection, we look at ourselves. It's, and now some go beyond into extreme vanity and never stop looking at themselves. Not you, of course, just other people, you know. But we see our reflection over and over again every day through most of the day, whether it's in a window, the the rear of your mission while you're driving your car, you get a glimpse of yourself. You get the point. Walking at home, walking past the shop, there are mirrors everywhere. We continue to get a reinforcement of what we see we are. The problem is we look in the wrong mirrors sometimes. And we see our reflection in the wrong mirrors. And I'm talking about more than physical mirrors here. We look at the mirror of social media. We look at the mirror of other people's opinions about us. We look at the mirror of our past and our past failures. And throughout the day, it's not just the physical mirrors reflecting back, it's these other mirrors. For some of us, the mirror of rejection, 
that happened maybe years ago, that happened recently, or a betrayal in a friendship, whatever it was, and you left with this question, with the pain, what's wrong with me? Why was I rejected? There's a mirror of failure where you keep looking at what you did and you go, that's who I am. And God says, no, that's not who you are. That's what you did. It's not who you are. You are in Christ. We look at the mirror of social pressure and draw from other people's opinions about who they think we are or who they say we are. We look at the mirror of our own inferiority and this constant feeling, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough. And we obviously look at the mirror of social media and what we've always got to remember is what's been reflected back at us is the best parts of their lives with uh, a little bit of adjustment, shading, all sorts of things to make it look even better than it actually was. And we think, I'm not living that. That's not my experience. And that mirror creates some of these other issues here. And my basic proposition is that we struggle with our identity because we spend too much time looking in the wrong mirrors. We spend too much time looking in the wrong mirrors. And James says that God's word is a perfect mirror. It's one of the reasons we encourage people uh, with our weekly devotions and hooking into it, it ties into the preaching thing. But more than anything, that if that's all you do in terms of spending some time in God's word each day, 10 minutes or so, 15 minutes, you're going to start seeing something coming back of God speaking back into your life, back into your circumstances. Listen to what James says about God's word as a mirror. James chapter 1, verse 23 and following. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like somebody who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, herself, goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. But whoever looks intently, intently, whoever looks intently, into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. For years I'd read that more when you look into the mirror of God's word, you are convicted. And there's an aspect of that. But there's far more going on here. He says, if you look intently into what God is trying to reflect back of who you are in Christ, you will be transformed and you will be blessed in everything you do. If you look intently and you don't forget who Christ says you are, you don't forget what Paul reminds us who we are in Christ, you don't forget God's promises, you will be transformed and you will be blessed in everything you do. Because you're looking at a mirror that is reflecting back to you of what God says about you, not what social media says, not what your failure says, not what your past says, or any of the other things we've talked about. He calls God's word, listen to this, the perfect law of liberty. Not a law that condemns, not a law that crushes, Yeah, there's things that we can get convicted about, but even the point of conviction when we confess us and he's faithful and just to forgive us and set us free. He calls the word the perfect law of liberty. 
This word is so powerful. It's not just ink or pixels on your screen. It's powerful, a law of liberty that will transform your life if you look intently into it. Joshua, when he's about to enter the promised land and feeling very nervous about taking over leadership from Moses, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, this book of the law, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And the word prosperity there is about, in the, the, the Hebrew word, is about an overflowing life. It touches finances, but it's not all about, it's about every part of your life prospering. And you want you notice what he was instructed to do. And that's without the fullness and the promises of the New Testament and all that is accomplished in Christ. He says, if you, if you keep this book of the law on your lips, it shapes your conversation. You meditate on it. You renew your mind. And then you act as best you can in obedience to it. He says, Joshua, you are going to be, pro- you, you will make your way prosperous. So we come back to Moses' encounter and we're looking at the one with him encountering God at the burning bush because when he turned, old things were taken away, just as Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You see, Moses started off in Pharaoh's palace thinking he knew who he was, an Egyptian or raised an Egyptian with great status discovered he had, was a Hebrew, realised he was chosen by God and then tried to implement that by himself and murdered somebody, massive train wreck, horrendous past, flees into a desert region where he looks after sheep for 40 years. And he no longer thinks he's any of those things that he was before. Probably very lost a real sense of brokenness. And one day, reading Exodus 3, verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush was not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. We look at the conversation or aspect of the conversation that follow in this encounter. But I want you to just notice those things that I emphasized slightly there. Moses said, I will turn aside to see. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, he called to him. And I don't think Moses fully realised that if he'd just go, oh, that's interesting, and kept on walking, the encounter wouldn't have happened. And it's in those moments where we say, God, I'm going to turn aside and spend some time in your presence. 
And God says, I see that you turn him aside. Let's have a conversation. Let's see if we can speak to your identity, your calling, your future, the issues you're dealing with. When God saw that he turned aside, he called to him, Moses, Moses. And suddenly Moses knows he's in the presence of God. So God says to him, I I want you to go back to the destiny. You think it's lost to deliver my people out of Egypt. And the first thing that Moses goes to is his identity. Listen to this in Exodus 3, verse 11, 12. And Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 40 years early, he thought he knew who he was. Now he's questioning everything about it. Well, who am I? I've just been lost in the wilderness for 40 years, tending sheep. I haven't even led people for 40 years. Who am I? And God's answer is simple. I will be with you. God's answer to all of our insecurity is to remind us of who he is, not just who we are. I will be with you. And it's amazing how often that concept comes up when people encounter God and they're struggling with who they are. And God says, whoa, whoa, let's just start off at the right place. I'm with you. I will be the source of your identity. I will be the one working in and through your life. You see, in a sense, God doesn't see us as we are, but as we're created to be. He sees all that potential, all that possibility, and he's seeking to draw you and I into that Paul leant heavily into the grace of God because the mirror of his past was pretty horrendous. Persecuted of the church, murdered Christians, did a whole lot of other things. But he comes to this in 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. He's not being dismissive of whatever. He's just saying, I have learned to just lean back into the grace of God. I can't change the past. I can't change those things. I live in that place of grace where I'm not going to be haunted by my past, haunted by my failures, haunted by things that I could have, should have, would have done. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But he says, that grace works powerfully in me. That grace works in me. In Joshua, God says to Joshua, when he's struggling with his identity and what God's called him to do, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And God's answer to all of our insecurities, calm down, I'm with you. Calm down, I am with you. And I wonder whether you're watching online or here in the auditorium, just even now under your breath, just to say, God, thank you that you are with me. That you are with me. And then to just lean into confession when you're struggling with aspects of your identity. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And God's grace is working in me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. So Moses' first question is, who am I? His second question is, 
who are you, Lord? He knows it's God, but it's, who is this God? He, he's heard stories. His mother's told him some things and she raised him in Pharaoh's household. And, and Moses says to God, suppose I say to the, I go to the Israelites and they say, sorry, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to him, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is your name? What should I tell them then? God said to Moses, this is such an interesting answer. I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. Who sent you? I am. And there's so much in that. And I think, but one of the things I just want to draw out, God says, whatever you need, I'm the answer to that. That's who I am. Whatever you need in your life, whatever God is trying to, I am the answer to it. Because I am is an incomplete sentence. Something needs to follow it. I am all that you'll need. I am everything that you'll ever need. I am is the one who's sending you. If we're insecure about ourselves, it's usually because we're unsure of who God is. And all the more the prayer, oh God, I want to know you. I, I want to lean into you. I want to learn more. I want to saturate my heart as much as I can with who you are and what you have done. All the more reason to spend time into God's word. Jeremiah gives this promise. Our oh, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And at that time, he's standing in the ruins of Jerusalem after it had been devastated by an invasion, people killed, taken captive, the horror. And he just says, I need a pause and just reconnect with God. Sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, you've got great power and nothing is to, I look at this, he's saying, and I think it's impossible that this nation will ever be restored is what's going on in Jeremiah's heart. And he says, but when I look at who you are, I have confidence in your ability and in nothing is too hard. And perhaps in that, when we're facing difficulty and we're not sure if God will, could, we just need to pause and just say, let a confession be, there's nothing too difficult for my God. He said so. It looks impossible to me. It looks overwhelming to me, but to my God, nothing is impossible. Then the third thing is, but what if they? So who am I? Who are you? But what if they? What if they? What about them, the others? So Moses answered, what if they do not believe or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? And all of us, I think, spend way too much time worrying about they, worrying about what other people think. And are they? I do it. I wish I didn't, but it troubles me sometimes what they're thinking. And if we spend less time worrying about what people think and more concerned and listening to what God is saying to us, the quicker the transformation, the quicker the breakthrough. Proverbs 29 and verse 25 says, the fear of human opinion disables or paralyzes you. But trusting in God protects you from that. 
coming back to this is who I am in Christ. And it's not saying I've never done anything wrong or got something wrong, but it's just coming back to, yes, despite all of that, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ. And when I turn to God, the barriers are removed, the veil is taken away, and I am being changed. And it starts on the inside and works its way outwards. Hebrews 13 Verse five and six, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What a great confession that is. So our first confession is by the grace of God, I am what I am. Our second one is there's nothing too difficult for my God. And the third one is the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And the final thing of Moses' insecurity in this is, I have never been able to do this. I've never done this before. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. He seems to be using these words quite well here, but anyway. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you spoke to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Moses, if I called you, I made your mouth, you can do this. But it anchors in that thing, I've never done this before. I've never stepped out to start a business. I've never stepped out to do this. I've never stepped out to this. But what if, and God's prompting you, but I've never done it. And he says, it's all right. I created you. I know what I've put in you. I know what you're capable of with my help and my leading. Jeremiah, when he's called, says, but Lord, I'm too young. What's your, but Lord, I'm too? What do you finish that sentence with? Because I think regardless of what the excuse is, God says, Jeremiah, do not say I am too young, too old, too this, too that. Stop saying that. Don't be afraid of them for, here's the answer, I'm with you. It's God's answer to everything in our lives. Chill, I'm with you. And stop saying that negative stuff about yourself. I'm listening to myself this morning. I hope you are. (laughs) Moses had a, a weakness and in it he had an opportunity to discover God's strength. So our confession is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I want to encourage you to do something as I conclude this, is to take these four confessions and just say them every day for a week and see what happens in your heart, in your life. They come out of the mirror of God's word, trying to reflect back to you and I, who we are in Christ. By the grace of God, my first confession, I'm accepted, I'm loved, I am what I am. And grace has changed me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. The second confession, there's nothing too difficult for my God. The third one, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And my final confession, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 